0: For some strange reason, found ourselves in Publix, but it was like 9.30. That is when you should shop. I don't know why. No, in the evening, at night, like, they're thir- we, we were debating. If we go in there, you know, it's you know, Eastworks Retail, and last thing you want is five minutes before closing somebody walks in and we were going to buy you know quite a bit of things and you know uh, should we go in and we said we're going to do it i think we can do it we divided and conquered she took a cart and went that way and i went that way but we didn't have to we had the store to our it was awesome Yeah, maybe. in and out in record time great things now now this time of year is particularly busy that was just has anybody waited in line at a retail establishment Christmas shop? I have two words for you, three words for you, Amazon.com. No lines, no waiting, two-day shipping. So The UPS guy is waving us off. You would think he would be grateful for all of us keeping him busy this time of year. here just really like to wait? Just curious. Like, you know, today I hope I can go wait in line somewhere. Anyone thinking that? I'm going to go out to lunch and I'm hoping that they give me one of those flashy buzzy things and send me outside. I'm hoping. Please do that. I'm hoping that I'm driving up to Miami and there is a massive traffic tie up and I get to sit in traffic for hours on end. Anybody really hoping? Thank you, God, who runs the universe and runs my life for these few minutes of peace and quiet right here in Miami in traffic. Amen. Is that your prayer? Not really. I I don't like to wait. You don't like to wait. Maybe it's this culture we live in and everything is so instantaneous, the access we have so immediate, we can get what we want quickly, two days or whatever. It it is remarkable. We just don't like to wait. Yet when we think about God... You ever noticed he doesn't seem to ever be in a hurry someone said it like this god is never late but rarely early Definitely on time. god just seems not to ever be in a super and even as you watch throughout history you see that as god did things there was never a sense of I've got to hurry up and get this done because there's something else I'm going to push, 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 push. No, there were these times where there was the need to wait. In this season of Advent, which as we talked about last week, means the the expectancy or the arrival of of the Savior, we find ourselves waiting. And we talked at length last week about the hope that we have, the way out there one day when Christ will return and God will set everything right that has been wrong. And in this meantime, you and I are stuck waiting, and I won't go through all the things we talked about last week, but I know there are a lot of ways that people here wait, from things that maybe seem as simple as the waits that we have in traffic, to those life-threatening, those those moments in your lives where everything is topsy-turvy and you just need an answer, whether it's waiting on something whether it's a health issue, whether it's a, a relationship issue, it's something with your kids or your parents, all of those things. There's lots of things that, that we're kind of stuck waiting for. But in those moments of waiting for when finally something breaks, something gets breaks right, I should say, something finally comes through and God sets right, we are left. have that hope. We want to, with all that we have, believe, but there's still the sense that I wonder if. And I want to look today at some things that might remind us that in fact it is in the waiting that God often works best. That it's not in the immediate I pray and there's an answer, but it's in the I pray and I struggle and I seek and I, I search and I hope and I wait that somehow your story and mine is enhanced and your character and mine is grown by this God who doesn't always seem to be in See, we live in, a, in an amazing place, this United States of America, and we take for granted the things that we have. In fact, somebody said maybe the two biggest values of American culture are how do you feel, you get what you want. Those are the two questions that drive us. How do you feel? Maybe that's where a lot of the addiction culture comes from. That that we're trying to make, or trying to find something and make us feel a little better. How do you feel? And and we're always kind of wanting to feel better as if the greatest good of our life is feeling better. And particularly this Christmas time as we're shopping and doing all of that, asking for what we want. That idea of how do I get what I want and get it now also pulls at us. Like if we finally get this thing, we'll be happy. Because that always works out, yeah? I mean, maybe a baby. Yes, a baby. Definitely a baby. Sorry, no maybe. But that thing, that gift, that that one item that we've hoped for, and those are the two things that drive us. And and, and there's an old, uh, I, guess, I don't know how old it is, I shouldn't say it's old, but there's a, We as Baptists don't often talk about catechism, but the, the Westminster Catechism begins this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. A reminder to us that we don't live this life just so we can feel good, but we live this life to glorify God and enjoy Him, not just now, but forever. And in the waiting, I think we'll find, is when we learn about the sufficiency of God and the goodness of God. I want to look at a passage of Scripture. Let's just say it's not your traditional Christmas text. It's in the book of Exodus chapter 13, which is where you often turn at Christmas time, right? If you were to look at all these Bibles, that's where they're set. No, Luke chapter 2 and the like. But Exodus chapter 13, I want to spend a few minutes in these verses in Exodus 13, and then we'll... Quickly breeze through 14 and 15. So we're going to cover two and a half chapters of Scripture today. Is that exciting? Don't look at your watch. It'll only make you sad. Exodus chapter 13. we're, We're in that period of time where God is going to deliver his people. And he sent Moses. He's called Moses from the backside of the desert, from the burning bush, and sent him to Pharaoh and the series of plagues have come along, and now God is going to deliver his people out from under the hand of Pharaoh. And in verse 17 of Exodus chapter 13, Scripture records this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What can we learn from this? The first thing that jumps out at me. Maybe you noticed it when we read it in that first verse. The thing that is surprising in some ways is the way God led them. Did you notice it said God led them the long way? Actually, it said he didn't take them the short way. I think the next slide is a map. Hopefully it worked if all goes well. What does it mean? What is the shortest distance between two points? A straight line. That is correct. If the map comes up here, I hope, I hope, I hope we'll be good. Hey, hallelujah. You see where it says Goshen? You probably can't at all, can you? You see the little point? That's the Sinai Peninsula. Up on this side toward the Mediterranean Sea is the land of Goshen in Egypt. That's where they left from. Where are they going? The children of Israel are going to go to Israel. Good. Wasn't a trick question. How do you get to Israel from Goshen? You just follow the sea and right up there along the top. There's the Dead Sea up there toward the top of that way. That's where you want to go, right? So if, if you pulled out your iPhone and said, Siri, take me to Israel. What would she do? She would say, go right the shortest way. Right? That's how it always works. But how did they go? You see this thing way down here at the tip? Oops, i over things. It says Mount Sinai. You heard of that, right? You know what happens at Mount Sinai? That whole Ten Commandment thing. So instead of going that away, way they went, God leads us the long way. But notice that God leads us. Did you catch that a few verses later? How did he lead them? By day and night, there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. As the children of Israel left Egypt, as they were delivered, and as the plagues had, had multiplied and Pharaoh finally relented, God led them he didn't just send them out there and say make your own way yes he might have led them the long way but he went before them actually not only was it the long way but it was sort of a a difficult because at the beginning of chapter 14 if you read it tells us that as god's thinking about it He's, he's saying, I'm going to lead them this way, the long way, and they're going to get hemmed in by the mountains, and Pharaoh's going to think, why did I let them go? And he's going to come after them. This makes sense, right? If you're God delivering your people, you want the people you just delivered them from to come chasing them. That's usually how it works in our stories, right? Hey, I want to get out of this situation, and two steps later, I want to look back and see it running after me. Right? Right? I want to get out of this health scare and two steps later look back and hear another diagnosis. I want to get out of this relational jam and two steps later look back and find a bigger problem. And that's what the children of Israel must have felt like as they begin to make their way the long way, whether they realized it was the long way or not, whether they were disoriented. 400 years in Egypt, they probably weren't exactly sure which way was best. They followed this direction of God, this pillar of cloud, this pillar of fire, leads them down, and Pharaoh comes after him. You've heard this story, right? Pharaoh's going to chase them down. He wants them back. And they come to this area where the mountains funnel them toward a body of water that somehow looks like certain doom to the Israelites. And in typical faithful Israelite fashion, what do they do? Same thing you and I do. They whined. I don't know if there's a Hebrew word for wine, but if there was, it should go right there. Boy, did they whine. This is not good. God, what? Are there just more graves out here in the desert? It was too crowded at the cemeteries in Egypt. You brought us out here to die. This is how they felt. And the scripture tells us, not only did God lead them, but the angel that was leading them by the cloud and the fire went around and what got behind them. And God put his presence between Pharaoh's army and the children of Israel and delayed Pharaoh's army so that the children of Israel could make it where they needed to go. And then, you remember this? Charlton had, I mean, Moses stood by the Red Sea and raised his staff. And what happens? Have you not read this story? The Red Sea parts, they walk across on dry ground. They get to the other side, and Pharaoh's army says, We can get them. They go into the sea. Moses lowers his hand, and the sea crashes in, and the whole army of Pharaoh drowns. All of that happened because God led them along the, the long not the one that maybe would have made sense to us looking at a map, not the way we would have chosen, but the way God knew was right. And I think God leads us the long way sometimes. God builds into our life those periods of waiting so that you and I can learn he is sufficient for whatever the situation is. or however overwhelming the circumstances seem. In that period of time, God will show himself sufficient. But there's something interesting that happens on the other side of that conflict, on the other side of that situation. Because what I've noticed in my life and what you may notice in your life is in the midst of the waiting, it's not always joyful. Our focus isn't always on the positive. It's easy to get bogged down by that. We're looking for that deliverance. We're looking for that victory. We're looking for the other side. And in fact, if we were to go fast forward to chapter 15, the first verse of 15, Exodus chapter 15, tells us that Moses and the Israelites sang this song. When did they sing the song? after God had drowned Pharaoh's army. But when did that song gain its meaning? Wasn't it in that interminable process? Wasn't it through those days and hours and weeks of waiting that the songs that we will one day sing, this in some ways i think this in my mind would be great that that as we as we talk about god as we talk about faith and we talk about jesus we talk about who he is that he came and he died and if we place our faith in him like he was resurrected from the grave one day we will be resurrected we'll be with him in heaven and we look at all those wonderful promises of god And and sometimes you might think it would be great if that just happened right away like why can't the moment we're saved we go straight to heaven. Maybe you're not thinking that, but maybe you thought that before. Maybe you never have. And you think, What's wrong with the preacher? Also a possibility. But I've thought that before. Why can't we just kind of save, go straight to heaven? Because there's some things in heaven we look forward to, but isn't that the point? Why do we want to go to heaven? I would suggest to you, part of the meaning of heaven is what we have to go through in the waiting. One of the things I'm looking forward to in heaven is seeing my granddaddy again. Granddaddy Griner, my hero. Awesome guy. The biggest mistake he ever made was teaching me how to use the grave tractor. I've told you this story before. It left a mark on me. There I was. I don't know how old I was. Young, grave tractor. That was like the thing. You, know, you walk behind it, had the, had the gears all over it. This one and that one, you know. And nowadays, you got the little things, but he didn't have that. We had to walk behind it. was a big old thing, and I wasn't much of anything. And he was going to show me how to use this. And so he taught me how. And, you know, move this lever, and it goes forward, and you turn on the blades and whatever. He said, okay, Charles, you go. So I got it, and I went off. Unfortunately, I, I was not good. And I headed Granddaddy's gravely tractor straight for Granny's geranium bin. You know what happens when gravely lawnmower meets geranium? doesn't work out well for the geranium and because i was so new at this i thought the best way to stop a gravely tractor that was in gear and going forward was just to hold on and you know i could just stop it it doesn't work that way it just dragged me right through the geranium bed too granddaddy laughed granny said go cut your switch no no granny didn't actually she was very gracious Gave me money to mow the geraniums. Isn't that cool? I didn't even know that was my job, but that's what he did for me. I was so proud. I went home and showed my mom and dad my fifty cent piece my granddaddy gave me for mowing the yard. Yeah, right. Also, I, I, I can't wait to see him. I'm sure many of you have people that you can't wait to see in heaven. You know, it's that wait. that's going to make that moment of. The some things that I don't understand that happen in this life make no sense to me theological education or not I can't explain it no matter how hard I try no matter how many people many books I read the smartest of the smart you just can't explain these things and we struggle with those and, and sometimes when we have people in the midst of those situations that there's no answer Back and, for whatever reason, understand that God is sufficient. exodus the account of these people i think wouldn't it be so awesome if you were having to, to to make your path in life if god would send a cloud to guide you by day and a pillar of fire by night have you ever thought wouldn't that be so cool look at that, and we want that tangible thing. And this is what God did. God sent his son Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, it's good for you that I'm going to go away. Because if I go away, the Holy Spirit will come. And that third person of the Trinity, which indwells the believer, it and guides us. So we don't need that external light or cloud. We have the very Spirit of God within us. As we navigate this long way journey to lead us much as those more tangible things led the children of Israel in the wilderness it's a remarkable thing isn't it i think we miss that i think we don't understand exactly how incredible that truth is not oh, we, we love the The Christmas idea, God became flesh, the Word became flesh, God with us, the baby Jesus, all the the things that we associate with that. We love that picture and that feeling. And around Easter, we'll celebrate the resurrection, and we love that that sense of of victory and joy that we can have in those moments. But it's easy to overlook all those days in between. acknowledge him and he will do what? He will direct your paths and make your paths That's, that's our reality that's the promise of God for us that's what he has done for us he said here this is what I have given you and we find out as we're taking this journey of life with all of its twists and turns as long as it might feel as out of the way as we might This trip has taken us. We find every step along the way, God is with us. God is sufficient. And as I learn to be sufficient, and as I walk with him, I look forward to the day when I'll see him face to face. Yes, yes be my granddaddy, and yes, they'll be my dad, and, and they'll be my granny, and they'll be aunts and uncles that have gone on, and other people that, friends, even, even folks that I've worshipped alongside and served alongside in this church and, and others, they'll all be there, we'll all rejoice together, and we will, we'll have some stories, yes? Dare I say we'll have some scars. Most scars. Most Stand before the One whose scars trump our scars on everything. For it's by those scars that we're told we're healed, save so we can sing in those minutes maybe the song of of, of Miriam and Moses in, in verse eleven of chapter fifteen. They say this, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Verse 13 says this, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy way. That's our song. Those are the, the words that are built into our life days of waiting and wondering and hoping. Those are the the truths that we begin to come to know more fully because we've seen the faithfulness of God in spite of the circumstances around us. And we, we won't spend this time waiting focusing on what we're missing. But rather we can spend this time waiting, focusing by then I'll have all my shopping. Which for me means I have to buy really for like one person. It's always a fun day. It's even different as your kids get older and one goes away to college and then comes back for a few weeks. And it takes everything within me not to snoop, especially since I know where they are kept. There's boxes with names on them. It's like not hard to figure out. <laughs> Nonetheless, I can say that because she's over there. You're not gonna repeat it, right? Yeah, she hears everything. Right? I'm excited about Christmas morning. I'm excited about the day that we get to spend. I'm excited about the season. Not every Christmas is exciting, certainly not every Christmas is exciting for everybody. But the circumstances we all face any given week, any given year sort of pull the rug out from you. So I, I'm not sure where you are in your Christmas expectation. It and to be with you in it and I do know that one day looking back this season might be the one that inspires the greatest song of your life that your worship before the throne of God will be most important will come to know that you are sufficient like in no other time of our life. And Father, for the people here in this room today that, that feel like they're in that desert, in that, that time of uncertainty,